Welcome back to Bahamas Politics Podcast. Today is Saturday, the 18th of September, 2021. And surprise, if you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard, the Bahamas held its general election in 2021. The long and short of it is all of the poll numbers are not in. Uh, We have no idea why, but the result is all but certain. Philip Brave Davis is the fifth prime minister of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas as of yesterday. He's gotten quickly to work in adjusting the emergency orders. So now our curfew is at midnight. It was previously at 9 p.m. Uh, the swearing in, the formal ceremony happened today. And as you will soon hear, one of our guests was there to cover it. But my name is Jason Brennan. I'm hosting today, joined by our co-host, Christoph Strawn. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. Awesome. And our two guests today... Both of them are no strangers to us here at Spectrum, and they've been on the podcast before. And we just had to bring them back because they, you know, we are going to have our rapid reactions for what's next in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Our first guest is none other than Mr. Joey Gaskins. How are you, Joey? Hey, Jason. It's good to be back. Um, Thanks for for having me back. Um, And hello, everybody uh, out there who's listening. Hello, indeed. And hello to you, too, Sloan our second guest. Hey, Jace, Chris, and Joey. So glad to be back here today, guys. It's been a, it's been a long uh, couple of weeks, but, you know, I guess they say the fat lady sung, and, and now is the time to see what's next. That's definitely a good way of putting it. So, Sloan, let me start with you real quick. Where are you right now, and what has today been like? <laughs> okay, so currently, um, in real time, I'm at uh, Bahamar. Uh, earlier this morning at 10 a.m., um, Prime Minister Dr. Hubert Minnis would have officially received his instruments from the Governor General. And, oh, I think um, you meant Philip Davis. You're still in, in the oh, Minnis mode. Did, w- did I not call him Philip Davis? <laughs> you said Minnis. You definitely said Minnis. No, wow. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, well, uh, Prime Minister Davis would have re- received his instruments um, this morning. And uh, at 2 p.m. today, uh, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, Chester Cooper, is expected to receive his instruments. Now, we know that uh, Mr. Davis would have officially been sworn in as Prime Minister yesterday on Friday, um, just one day after the election, a couple hours after the election, actually. And um, it seems as if this was done in order for him to facilitate the extension of the the curfew, like you would have mentioned, um, to 12 p.m. And so it's very exciting um, out here right now at the convention center. There are a lot of a lot of faces that we would have seen throughout the campaign earlier um, throughout these years who were really sticking with the PLP throughout it. And um, it's just interesting to see all of these faces showing up to support Mr. Davis and the PLP today. It's an exciting day for them. Absolutely. And Joey, what does it sound like? What does it look like on your end? Yeah. So what's it like on our side? I mean, listen, um, it, it, the PLP campaign uh, made a point, particularly in its uh, last uh, night of campaigning, the, the election eve, to say that they would be ready on day one in the sense that we're getting um, on the outside here is that things are moving very quickly. Um, and not just very quickly, but that there is a, a conscientious effort to unpick some of the things that the Minnesota administration uh, put into place very early on uh, and in their administration. For example, you know, I'm hearing that uh, Simon Wilson, the, the former and notorious in a way uh, financial secretary, 
uh, for years here in the Bahamas, who was sidelined um, when the administration came to power in 2017, was returned uh, back to the, uh, he, he returned to the Ministry of Finance on Friday and, and the acting uh, financial secretary, Marlon Johnson, was notified um, that this was happening. So that, that happened on Friday very quickly, you know, those of us, again, who are on the outside but do a lot of work with government are jockeying to find out who will take what portfolios and how portfolios will be uh, constructed, right? Um, so we're hearing uh, about, um, you know, finance right now, a lot of questions around who will be the next AG, as that is the, the only constitutional uh, position in the cabinet besides uh, PM. Um, but also, you know, there are questions around who will take investments, tourism, national security, and other uh, primary ministries or, or, or the big ministries um, in the coming days, especially given the pace um, uh, that, that government is moving at, that this administration is moving at. So like Sloan says, it's really exciting. You know, you're tapping all of your sources. You're having conversations. I got calls from Bahamar uh, today from uh, folks I did not expect to be there, actually, um, telling me uh, about the ceremony and 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 how well it was done. So we're, we're all just kind of heirs to the ground trying to figure out what, what. Definitely. And Chris, so for the past few days, I realized that both of us made some predictions for cabinet ministers. I wanted you to, first of all, say if you still stand by those predictions and kind of. No, I don't. <laughs> I didn't remember everybody who won. So, so uh, let me just put that out there. I didn't, I didn't even remember everybody who won. So that was my initial prediction was just based on what I remembered at the time. And then I was reminded of, oh, this person won their seat. And I was like, oh, crap, they did win. And so uh, that that is I, I do not stand by that anymore. So then let's go down through it if we can. And I think this would be an interesting little exercise for all four of us. Obviously, as Joey just said, what's next are the big cabinet appointments, the attorney general as well. And if history has taught us anything, it's that when governments come to power, you should expect to see some familiar names occupying, I guess, the higher ranks of government, you know, your national security ministry, your foreign affairs, your education. But in the progressive liberal party's case, even though I think it's almost safe to say now 32 of their candidates are going to be members of parliament, there's still quite a few new faces and you have to wonder how many of them are going to be elevated on their first try getting into the House of Assembly into these high-ranking posts, right? Jace, so let's ask that question first. Um, if, if I can take this question, Jace, I think uh, the, the important thing to remember also is just that, um, you know, ministers aren't only chosen um, from those who were elected, even those who may not have may not have um, won their seats like Halkidas. We can kind of right. have an expectation that we will see them in the Senate and that they may still have an opportunity to get these cabinet positions, but through the Senate, obviously. And so, um, like, he's, like like Joey was saying, you know, to see whether or not um, these portfolios of these individuals, like, like Dr. Darville, who was already heading the PLP's COVID, um, you know, task unit, um, like uh, uh, Chester Cooper, who was the financial man for the PLP. And then, obviously, we have Mr. Wayne Monroe, who has been the legal guide for the party for the past several years. And so I think the expectation is that these, you know, higher up um, um, uh, figures will receive those um, 
you know, cabinet positions and, and whether or not they're going to be able to perform in those positions will be the main question. I think the expectation for everyone is, firstly, you, you mentioned AG. Will we see Wayne Monroe as the next AG of the country and will he perform better than uh, Carl Bethel, who um, most people, anyway, I'm going to leave that joke there. I love Mr. Bethel. I appreciated him throughout these past four years, even though he, um, he, he tried to assess the media in the best ways possible. He offered us comments when he could and when he couldn't or was in a bad mood, he just decided not to. And so, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see who will actually get these positions, whether or not Mr. Davis will seek to uh, utilize these individuals in their, um, in their uh, comfort zones or whether or not we'll see some people being put in areas that they themselves already know, um, you know, who, who would be going there. Uh, keep in mind that the PLP has been um, picking up their candidates for at least three, four years. Um, so they know where the strengths and the weaknesses lies. And so I don't think it's going to be a very difficult transition for them to pick a government, to pick a cabinet, because they seem to have already started these processes way before they even knew the election was theirs. Yeah, I, I also think, though, it's, it's, it's also not just about, um, you know, where people are comfortable or whether or not they were shadow ministers for particular portfolios. But let's take finance, for example. If you have leadership aspirations, you don't want to be the minister of finance right now. <laughs> uh, there are difficult, you know, there are difficult decisions that need to be made um, that, you know, it is very likely that the Minister of Finance is going to become a, a target for his own caucus um, in the House um, or wherever he's sitting. Um, and, and so if you expect to be Prime Minister in five or 10 years, you know what I mean? That's not the position that you want to take, right? And so you may want to, you may want to go elsewhere like tourism um, or, 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 or somewhere else where it requires less of the difficult decisions that finance will require during the course of this administration. For AG, you, you do have a lot of people looking at Wayne, but let's not forget that there's a former attorney general in the in 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 parliament yes, um, now Alfred as well, says. right? In in the person. Yep. That's right. Um, and um, during a time when uh, you know there were reams, reams of emergency orders, right? And that there are question, constitutional questions. Um, where uh, the the legislative agenda in in the blueprint for change is quite extensive, um, you will need somebody who understands the inner workings of the AG's office, the Law Reform Commission. Both has has good relationships with both the uh, Director for uh, Legal Affairs as well as the DPP. Right, so you'd you'd want to know Antoinette and 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 Gaskin quite well in order to get things done right. So, I mean, there are a number of considerations and calculations when doing this work, because again, you know, if, if Alfred's not um, Minister of Education, then who is, you know what I mean? But, but there, there's also the question around the AG. So this is a really, I think this is a really exciting time and this is where you get to see the, the strategy, both political and policy-wise, kind of come to bear um, on the decisions that are being uh, made and whether or not people refuse for certain posts or request them. Right, um, and, or and position themselves. So it's it's very exciting. Gonna, this is my this is my favorite part. You know, yeah. well, I was gonna ask really quickly because this is my second go around, kind of watching this process take out while having some knowledge of politics. 
do future aspirations matter when the prime minister sort of makes these cabinet uh, selections? And I'm asking because while you may be thinking one way, okay, if the prime minister has identified a successor or someone who they're okay with moving up in the organization, they may give them a ministry where they won't have to constantly defend themselves and the decisions they make. But the flip side could also be true, right? If you want to punish somebody or you don't want them to move up in public profile and standing, you may not want to give them a high profile ministry. Is that actually the way things go or is that just a, a Netflix kind of take? No, I mean, I don't know, Sloan, do you want to jump in here? Um, Jace, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out what, 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 um, I guess the stance is, are you, are, are you trying to, um, I guess, consider whether or not the, the prime minister or who, uh, the lead who's, who's picking these cabinet positions, whether or not he would sabotage another MP if he does has a future, future, um, aspirations? Well, it's, it's more about, not necessarily about prime minister Davis, but is this something that happens because i know there were accusations made against the former prime minister particularly when the minister of health former minister of health Dwayne sands had to resign some persons said that not only was that a move to punish dr sands because of you know letting the travelers come in with the tests and whatnot but because they felt as though dr sands and dr minister did not get along and dr sands was angling for leadership that was the talk of the town now I don't know if it actually happened that way, well, but I wonder sometimes. Well, I think I think in this instance, um, when it comes to the leadership, you gotta look at um, how the party itself is is currently operating. We know that for some time the F and M, um, even since its last um, since its last convention throughout the the uh, minister administration, there were troubles in the camp. We even saw troubles in the camp up to um, the election. You know, with with the former. My Prime Minister Hubert Ingram endorsing uh, Dwayne Sands and also, you know, talking about his prospects as Prime Minister in the future and, and not doing the similar, I guess, favor for Dr. Minnis. And you can you can say that it's because Dr. Sands and, and, and Mr. Ingram has has a better relationship, but it, it definitely spoke to what the FNM looked like or what the party looked like at the time in terms of its division. And so whether or not um, placing uh, someone who has aspirations for prime minister in a, in a higher position will be a consideration that will be taken with this PLP government is something that we're going to see. We know several of those PLPs um, who were elected do have aspirations for, for leadership in the future. That will be Chester Cooper. That will be Obi Wilshkum. I know Alfred says would have said before that he has interest in being prime minister. And I think, um, I, I don't want to be quoted on, on on whether Fred Mitchell, but I'm pretty sure that he's been in government for so long that maybe he also has aspirations for leadership in the future. And so I guess we just have to see um, where this government will go with that. I think uh, an interesting um, thing to look at will be um, in this first instance, who will be the first cabinet chosen? We know under the administration, there were like four different cabinet shuffles and so in that first instance you know the way he would have positioned those individuals were I, I don't know if he thought it was wrong because after that first shuffle we saw you know Lanisha moving into moving into youth sports and culture and, and Renward going into transport and, and Renward Wells was one of those individuals who definitely saw upward mobility throughout his political career ending at you know minister of health and so this first um um, group of, of ministers will be interesting because it, they will be handpicked 
by the leadership to, to, to lead those ministries. And I guess if a shuffle is needed for whatever reason in the next coming years, they will have to decide or weigh those individuals' portfolios, their experience, their knowledge, just as Joey was saying. Yeah, and I think to, to, to your broader question, Jace, yes, I do, I do believe in it. From what I understand, um, there's a lot of strategy around how people are positioned in cabinet. Um, and also, you know, there, there is a lot of bartering, I think, um, around these positions uh, as well. This is, you know, real politics, right? This is not the kind of uh, idealistic or, uh, you know, progressive approach. To, I mean, this, this is the real calculation, I think, that happens at, um, at the leadership level and has been happening, you know, in anticipation of an electoral victory. Um, I, I also think, though, that, you know, P Prime Minister Minnis was plagued by a bench that was not especially um, impressive or deep with a lot of new faces in politics who had no ministerial experience. Um, and, and also dealing with a split in the party where perhaps in the past he could resource from past FNM administrations, um, but, but very clearly a kind of um, a split between you know, new Minas FNMs and, and Ingramites, right? Um, and so that, 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 that created an issue for him as well. I think towards the end of his administration, he had run out of moves to make, you know what I mean? When it came, when it came to his cabinet, I, I, I am certain that Renwood was not the first choice or for, for, for Minister of Health, but, you know, given the, the constitutional rules around how, how many folks from the Senate you can have, um, and given what his caucus, his parliamentary caucus looked like, his House of Assembly caucus looked like, it becomes very difficult to, to begin um, moving and strategizing um, your cabinet when you don't have folks who are capable or when you've, you've, you've lost, you know, um, you've lost a number of moves and, and you've, run, you've run out of places for pe to put people or, or to, to move people around without having to remove a senator or, you know, or something like that. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot of chess playing and positioning um, when it comes to what the cabinet looks like. And it's not just around that, but also who do you want to be in, who do you want to have around the table in the room? Which is a very real question, you know what I mean? People who are capable, who are not, I mean, the last cabinet to a certain extent was a leaky ship. Sloan, you know this, am I lying? No, no lies heard here, Joey, none whatsoever. It was, it was, it was a it was a leaky ship. We knew cabinet decisions before, <laughs> you know, decisions were written. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, the, these are all, I think all, the, all of these kinds of considerations are a kind of, uh, you know, things that, that, that are part of the calculation. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, as leader, it's your job to figure out the best combination so that you have an effective government, a cabinet you can trust. And you're also keeping the sharks at bay you know, those who want your position because around the cabinet table are, your cabinet is full of, of aspiring prime ministers. So speaking know? of sharks, yeah. we know what the task ahead for the progressive liberal party is. And even though the decisions will be difficult, I think everybody wants to be in their shoes, right? They're the incoming government of the Bahamas, fresh mandate, fresh slate. They can do whatever they want, but the free national movement on the flip side of the coin has been decimated by this election result. And I say decimated, uh, trying not to be biased here, but their actual parliamentary caucus 
has been considered by many observers to be a bit weak. They have three members for sure from Grand Bahama, Michael Pintard, Iram Lewis, and Quasi Thompson. We have Dr. Hubert Minnis, who will return as the member for Killarney. He's already said he's staying on as leader of the opposition. Adrian White, first-time MP from St. Anne's. We have Shannon Don Cartwright, a second-time MP from St. Barnabas. And after that, it's Adrian Gibson in Long Island, two-time MP. So let's talk a little bit about the free national movement and what's next for them. Obviously, they have a lot of decisions to make, but the amount of decisions they could make is limited by the options they've been given in Parliament or that the people handed to them with their returning members, wouldn't you say? So, so what I, it, like you said, uh, Chase, where the FNM is going to head is going to be very interesting. We know that a convention is pending for that party. They haven't had a convention in several, several years. The last convention was when uh, Dwayne Sands and Loretta Butler Turner would have um, yep. uh, uh, attempted to, to, to regain the, the leadership from, right, from Dr. Minutes. And so we know that a lot has happened since then. And so a convention for that party is going to be explosive, high energies, a lot of people just trying to figure out what's next for them individually. Um, you spoke about the parliamentary uh, caucus itself. And I found, I find that, you know, it's so interesting. Um, those political uh, figures who would have managed to maintain their seats, like for Shannon Cartwright, I, I knew 100% that Shannon was going to keep a seat. I hadn't heard anything bad about Mr. Cartwright on the ground during my time, um, you know, talking to those in the community. You know, he was one of those FNM MPs that tried his hardest to provide representation um, to his community. And, and, and he really did that throughout. And so I think um, that definitely reflected that definitely reflected in, in, in what he was doing um, on the ground. Um, when, you, when you look at people like Michael Pintard, Michael Pintard kept his head down a lot in, 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 in Parliament, especially after Dorian and how, you know, the minister administration would have handled that. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not Michael Pintard will continue to move up in the party, especially seeing as he had once served as, as chairman of the party several years ago. Yep. Um, and then when you look at people like Aram Lewis, um, who, who was just coming up in the next couple of years, it's going to be interesting to see how they actually situate their caucus. Now, with Dr. Minister staying on, on le as leadership, the question will be how the party will now manage that. I'm not quite sure, maybe Joey can, can um, answer this, whether or not it is possible to have a leader of the party who is not in parliament. It seems very unlikely to me. Um, and so whether or not Mr. Dwayne Sands will, you know, continue towards, you know, his his dream of leadership in the party without having a position in parliament and whether or not he will actually be appointed to the, those um, number of Senate seats that the FNM will be, uh, uh, you know, man mandated to, 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 to provide will be quite interesting. And so, like you said, seeing what, what will happen with the FNM and this, you know, uh, small caucus that they have and what these these individuals will bring to the party and also to, you know, the parliamentary pr procedures being on the other side, it's going to be fun. I'm just going to say that it's going to be fun. <laughs> I want to go to the convention whenever it happens. I hope that one of well, my good friends council from meeting the is on Wednesday. And oh, boy. Yeah, FNM council meeting is on Wednesday. So believe me when I say convention draweth nigh. I, I want mm -hmm. to be there. I just I want to be there I'm gonna, the energy. I personally yeah, don't believe Minister will remain as leader. Um, mm -hmm. And 
you don't have to be the leader of the party to be in parliament, I think, because you don't have to be um, the leader of the party to be the leader of the opposition. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of interesting factors that can play in. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see, like Sloan mentioned, how people like Michael Pintard will uh, progress within the party, how people like Shannon Dong will progress within the party. Personally, I would like to see Michael Pintard perhaps become lead of the party over someone like uh, Dwayne Sands, who has a lot of favorability with the public at the moment. Um, but as opposition, they, they're really going to be just like the PLP was in opposition last, during the last term, you know, this is another super majority in the house. So there's really nothing that they can do if we're being frank. Um, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see how the party will rebound from this outside of the house. Joey, before you weigh in, I'm surprised no one has mentioned Tommy Turnquest. Tommy Turnquest was in a situation where after the 2002 election, he was seatless and he had to be appointed to the Senate and he was still leader of the FNM for a few years. Let's not forget Minnis also, um, uh, Minnis's role was also split prior to 2017. He was not leader of the opposition, but he was still leader of the, the, the party, right? Leader of the opposition is chosen by the opposition caucus not by the party. And so, um, yes, you can exist, you can split that role. Um, you can be leader of the party without a seat. You can be, again, as Jace reminded us, you can be Tommy Turnquest in the Senate. Although, you know, I don't know what that split, that, that split of power, if, if, that is, if that's um, a good idea, you know what I mean? From a, from a strategic point of view. Um, I think, you know, the, the FNM has got some soul searching to do. Uh, and, uh, and let's be clear, there, there were very visible, um, even during the campaign, of course, very visible, there's a very visible split within the party, right, with, with um, Ingramites and other traditional FNMs feeling that they were mistreated by Minis and the Minis faction in the party once it grabbed hold of power, you know, and so I think even now, and some of the calls that I'm getting, people are talking about who's the next uh, uh, leader of the party. Um, given that Grand Muhammad delivered three seats to the FNM um, in what is essentially a wave election, right? Even still, um, uh, well, I don't know if it's three seats. I think we're still trying to figure out how many, um, but- Joey, Joey, I'd call it a splash more of a wave. We didn't have that much voters for it. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I understand that, um, you know, low voter turnout and all of that, but I look at the, look at the seat split. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. whether, whether it was, you know, 95% or 40%, very clearly uh, shift in the, in the balance of power. And I don't hear a lot of Bahamians complaining about how many people didn't come out to vote. Either, you know what I mean? Like, I, I thought I would have, have, have heard, uh, you know, cries from the mountaintops that, uh, you know, the low voter turnout was an issue. But I think Bahamas have just kind of accepted that this, this well, is what Julie, it is. We want people who um, didn't show up to the polls to complain about other people not showing up to the polls. I think that's the problem. Well, I mean, and that's, that's the thing. Yeah, I know. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but but uh, even, even FNMs, you know what I mean? I'm not hearing a lot. Maybe we'll 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 hear it a year from now, right? But um, yeah, I I just don't know. But but I do think that the the, the FNM has a really incredible opportunity though, um, and and it should be seen as 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 such to to reform to to reform 
I was going to say reform, but the, the word is to reform the party to, to present a new face. And it's something that um, people said that Brave had an opportunity to do after the defeat um, in 2017. Whether or not he did that, uh, I think is up for debate. But there's certainly an opportunity for the FNM to, uh, to, to, to do the same or, or to take that route. I think it's going to be an interesting um, fight for leadership. And quite frankly, I think it's going to be a bloodbath at convention. I think it's going to get messy. Um, and, and that's why I want to be there. I love it. Because <laughs> you, you want to see the mess. Yeah. I've got two direct questions to I ask everybody here. Yeah, me too. Yeah, listen, this is, you know, as much as a, I'm not going to say the word, as much as a trying time this is for the FNM, you know, we're going to have some fun. Sarah? I mean, come on. Yes, that. I was just didn't want to have to put myself through the work of bleeping that out when editing. <laughs> no. But so two direct questions. The first question is you have to put your money on the line. Who do you think is going to emerge as leader of the FNM? Oof. <laughs> Oof. And I, notice I the question. I, I the question. Do I have the to? question is not who you want to be yeah. leader of the FNM. <laughs> it's who you think will be leader of the FNM. I honestly don't know. It, I, I don't know because we don't know. Like currently, we don't know who's going to put themselves forward mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. leader of the FNM. So we 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 don't know who's gonna who's gonna bid for the leadership against Doctor Menace. We know there are a lot of people who probably want it, you know, mm -hmm. and who probably will try. Well, I'll say this. But the likelihood of I'll say this. Go on, Chris. I don't know who it's going mm -hmm. to be, but I can say very candidly that if it's anybody associated with Minus and his name, it will not be them. The mm. people wow. will not vote for them. So, Chris, just from an insider perspective, sorry, I'm taking over Jace's role. Um, is, 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 oh, is, it, is it the same? You, you and me both, Joey. Yeah, from, from, go on, that's gone. I am happy. From your perspective, Chris, um, internally, do people ha, ha, are people laying the blame of this defeat at the feet of Hubert Menes? A lot of them, yeah. Yeah. Hey, is it the snap election that did it for them? Uh -huh. That or was one of the things that did it for them. Yeah. Same. But you know, but then I have a follow up then, Chris, because this is what I don't get. The public, if you listen to the public, you would have thought that the FNM was foolish for not choosing Loretta Butler Turner and Dwayne Sands, and that it was clear from jump that Dr. Minnis was not going to have a good run. The fact that he became prime minister shocked a lot of people, but the fact that he had such a turbulent term was not a surprise. So how do you go from a situation where the FNM overwhelmingly voted twice to keep Dr. Minnis in spite of the public controversy around him mm -hmm. to points. now where you have this, you know, you have the situation where what if Dr. Minnis says, well, I want to run again. How Amen. different is the free national movement from five years ago to now? I know there's a big loss in between those five years, but that's my question. Uh, people fall out of grace for one. Um, Chris say he fell. <laughs> and the leader, the leader is not exempt from that. Uh, two, uh, the leader and anybody associated with the leader can um, piss off a lot of people. Yes. And they may be just saving faith in the public 
they may be saving face in the public because uh, they don't know when the election coming and they just know that a snap election coming soon. So they don't want to cause any issues. So they just, you know, sitting quietly. Um, but, but things change. <laughs> uh, uh, one, yeah. one inevitability of life has changed. Uh, the favorability of Mr. Minister's leader has changed. Yeah. If, if, I if, if I can add to that, oh, sorry, Joey, you want to go? Oh, yes, sure. I, I just want to, to kind of highlight something that Chris said, which I, which I think is really important. And it's something that all of us have been, all of us, I mean, you know, the pundit class, um, Candia, Candia did not mince words on this, but, um, but uh, I think it is, I think a, a number of us, uh, and you know, outside of the FNM, inside of the FNM, did not have a good experience um, with the Minnis administration and the people around him. Um, that there, to say that there may have been a culture of pettiness, um, definitely abusive, um, perhaps you know, uh, you know, whatever words abuse you abuse of power. Yeah, and and so this is why it's so funny to see on the timeline people asking the question, do y'all really not know why people didn't like this man? And it's, it's really weird for me because, you know, in politics, the, you, the part of the work of politics is um, trying to get as many people as possible to like you while mm -hmm. also doing things that they, sometimes having to do things that they do not like, right? Because leadership requires tough decisions. That was not the position of this administration. The position of this administration was F everybody who ain't coming along, right? Fact. <laughs> you exactly, Joey. Exactly. As, as a media professional for the past five years, who covered the minister as an op in his opposition, covered him coming into government, and then covering covering him throughout governance, completely different. Completely like, listen, Joey, you hit the nail on right. the head. And, and, okay? and I, I think, I think they underestimated the amount of people who were really upset at them you know what i mean people who would have never voted plp i know told me straight to my face i vote in plp die in the died in the wool fnms were raising <laughs> money for plp candidates during the snap election you understand jo me like joey they, like so i i i, I think people <laughs> do not and, and we've been hesitant to discuss this so as not to sound like you know we are plp supporters but i think, you know, there are magnitudes <laughs> of people that this administration pissed off. And a lot of that is coming to bear both external, came to bear both externally in the election and will come to bear in the leadership fight within the FNM. And I don't know if Chris disagrees with me on that, but that, that's my position. And I'm speaking from my own experience. I didn't hear you. I said, what did you say? I said, I'm not sure if you disagree with me with that assessment, but that's- No, disagree with you about what? Ab about the fact that this administration Made it a point to piss people off internally and externally. <laughs> piss off. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say um made it a point, but I would say that they didn't care if they did. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say like they were going out of their way to piss people off, but I would say that they don't they didn't care if they did or not. Yeah. I'm gonna say they they went out of their way. I have I have three key <laughs> points to make on 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 this issue right now, right? And and just because you know uh, it's almost two o'clock and they're heading back in to do um, the official uh, ceremony for for Chester Cooper, the deputy prime minister. 
Um, but the, the three key points I want to make to you, to, to you guys' comments is one, I think we failed to, to um, acknowledge the role that the voter register played in this election. That being oh, that yeah. the Minnesota administration would have made the last voter register, which they were elected in, you know, un almost unanimously in 2017, and they made that the permanent register. But what they failed to acknowledge was that the majority of people who voted for the Minnesota administration on that register were PLP supporters. You know, a lot of PLP supporters turned on the PLP in 2017 because of Mr. Christie, and they decided to vote for the FNM. And those were the same PLPs that showed up to the polls to vote them out. You know, so that's that's one thing that I think we really need to acknowledge and look at. Secondly, um, in order to win a, a general election as a government, as a leader, you have to win the hearts of the Bahamian people. You have to. The only way you're going to get a second administration is winning the hearts of the Bahamian people. And that's what Pinland did. That's what Ingram did. And Minnis failed to do that. Mr. Christie himself said that, you know, he didn't see Minnis win this election because you know in terms of a consecutive government he talked about the same thing happening to him in the first two years of the the minister administration before irma hit before dorian hit before COVID 19 hit they did nothing that resonated with the bohemian people absolutely nothing well irma was if the you first look at year what they did, irma was the first year just a irma few months a few uh, months in first year was 2017 second year was 2018 irma was in 2017 no, I'm pretty sure Irma was 2018, um, Dorian was 2019, and then COVID was 2020. But even if you look at what they were doing in that first uh, first year, it was arresting PLPs, it was increasing VAT, it was Oban, it was the Grand Lucine Resort, and then it was the post office. And so until they actually got to, to something that Bohemian people can say, I can touch, feel, taste, something like, you know, the free university, something like what we saw at the end of the administration, you know, with the Prospect Ridge projects, it hadn't resonated with Bohemian people. And, and not to win a government, you have to have to resonate. You have to touch the hearts of the Bohemian people. And they completely failed with that within their first two years. And so for throughout the four years of that last administration, Bohemians were suffering. Behemoths were absolutely yeah. Suffering. No, so I, I'll I'll just make the correction. Irma was indeed 2017. Okay, uh, great. Just three months, a few months after they got it. And 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 in that 2017, they would have evacuated hundreds of people from the southern um from the southern from the southern islands of the Bahamas and brought them in. And so, like I said, there was nothing that really resonated with the Bahamian people within that first few years. And 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 Joey, like I said, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about how this administration handled the public, how they spoke at the public and not to the public, and also how they handled the media, right? Um, I can say personally, and I have no problem saying it personally um, publicly, several times that I attempted to speak to Dr. Minnis while I worked at the NASA Guardian, I got, oh, you work for the Guardian, I can't talk to you. Trust me, <laughs> that's the, <laughs> you know, and, and obviously you guys would have seen in the public how the media was constantly, you know, pushed aside, constantly dismissed by this administration. You even saw it into the elections. The FNM administration refused to engage with the media. And I don't know if they thought, you know, that was because they wanted to have a direct line to the Bahamian people, which it didn't seem as though they did. They had a direct line to FNMs. Um, but you know, for some reason, everything didn't add up. The communications, you know, the way they treated the public, the way they spoke to the public. It just seems as if there was no direct connection to the Bahamian people and what they want, what they needed over these past four years. And so even though 
the majority of Bohemians didn't show up to vote. And I think that was indicative of itself, of this, of that last administration. The people that did vote said, enough is enough. We're tired and we want something new. And I honestly believe that this country currently, they just needed something refreshing. They just want a hope. You know, they just want something that is Maria like, Davis was the refresh. Um, I, 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 that's debatable. You know, I'm I'm not going to say that he was the refresh, but you got to keep in mind, Bohemian people, Bohemian people will vote you out. They don't care. Yeah, they will vote I, you I, out. one thing we do. I think, yes, vote people. Yeah, out. I think you know. I think let's be clear. Like we, I, I, if we look at the voter turnout, I can't say this was the same as all of the other elections where they were voted out because nobody voted. But but, yeah, but 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 I think people who the people who showed no. up voted in who they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, but then the FNMs didn't show up. So how can you say so you refused to yeah. vote for your yeah. prime minister? Well, you refused to vote for your leader, you refused to vote for your prime minister, but then you say, Oh well, th- this isn't real because no one voted, then why the f- didn't you go to vote? Sorry. Because <laughs> I didn't <laughs> want to. <laughs> no, you're good. I didn't want to vote. It's my constitutional right. It's a choice. I chose not to vote. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that the, the silence um, speaks volumes. The silence spoke. Yeah. I, I think the silence speaks volumes. I mean, there are other factors here as well, like, you know, fear of COVID, of course, especially, um, um, you know, when it was quarantine, voters weren't going to be able to vote and then maybe we're considering it and then we're going to let them vote. And then a day later or two days later, the protocols like, uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of factors here, but a motivated base is a motivated base. And nothing mm-hmm. gonna stop in yep. their way. And nothing gonna stop them from going out and doing what they support and with it. And again, I really do think you had this, the 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 signals from Papa, right? Which started with him hit those photos being captured outside of the House of Assembly in Rosson Square at, at um, Eighty Hannah's funeral. He ain't he ain't take no pictures with Menace. He, took, nope. he allowed himself to be captured in a still image with Fred Mitchell, Brave Davis, and Perry Christie. That Ingram is not a... You know, Papa is very calculated. He is Papa not is that much, and, and not just calculated, but better than any politician that I have ever met. His ability to ma- manipulate media for his advantage is, is on par. With, n- nobody else is on par with him, right? And so I think you, you just had, I, I mean, again, a motivated base is a motivated base. From the advanced polls, some of Sloan's colleagues were telling me there are two th- there's a real big difference between PLPs who seem motivated and excited to come out and vote and FNMs who seem surly, who seem angry, who cannot articulate a, a case for the, um, th- this administration's reelection. And the Minnesota administration from a campaign strategy point of view did not arm its supporters with a clear and concise argument for why they should be reelected. So listen, I was just telling an FNM supporter that not to cut yeah. you off, Joey, but I took a video at the advanced poll. This was at CI Gibson High School. Mm-hmm. And I went if a if a video could tell the entire story, you should watch that video. I panned and walked past eight PLP tents. They were all jumbled up together, right? Because they wanted to combine multiple constituencies. When I walked past with the camera out, I didn't tell them I was doing this. The PLPs were excited. They threw up their crab signs. They looked at me. They said PLP all the way. They said Monroe for Freetown. They were happy. And then I passed the PLPs and I'm videotaping the FNMs and they're all just sitting there. No one is saying anything. It's less of them. It's too tense. No one even so much as hailed me. You know, and I feel like 
that is actually the story of it. You had PLPs who were extremely motivated and enthusiastic, and you had FNMs that almost had to convince themselves to show up, put on the red, and support their crew. I almost feel like if you were a public, if you were publicly FNM this cycle, people were gonna bully you, and Twitter don't count. Like Twitter is not real life. We keep saying that, but in the actual dynamics of the election. It was not favorable for the FNM, and you could see that if you looked on election day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I I heard it from media all over, from the advance polls, and and all over the Bahamas. Um, so I, I think that's that's something that the FNM is also going to have to contend with. I think, right? And you know, I I, I tweeted this yesterday, but so sixty percent of people did not come out to vote. Essentially, maybe fifty five percent of folks did not come out to vote to vote. That is the prize, right? That's the prize over the next, you know, over the next couple of years is, you know, get one. Those people are going to come out, come back out to vote in five years, in my opinion. The, 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 the voter turnout is not going to stay at this level, especially if we've been able to beat back COVID by then. So the question is going to be who will collect the greatest proportion of that, those folks who did not come out to vote um, uh, ahead of the next election. I think that's going to be key. Certainly. So we're almost out of time here today. Um, I noticed no one answered my question about the FNM, but that's my bad. I should have asked the question, who do you think should be the next FNM leader, not who you think will be? I wouldn't ask uh, so I don't know if anybody <laughs> wants to take a stab at that, or we could save that for when the convention is closer. Let's get into it very quickly about the other options on the table and how they performed. If you haven't heard, the Coalition of Independence uh, absolutely trounced the DNA in the last wow. election. We don't Just, know wow. the actual percentage, but if I had to guess, I think it would be around 7 or 8% of the vote, which is very close to what the DNA got in 2012. DNA got 13,000 in 2012, still waiting on all the ballots to be counted, particularly in Pinewood. I haven't seen Lincoln Bain's performance there, which I'm interested in. And yeah, but you don't need the full numbers to know for sure that the DNA is well in fourth place and the Coalition of Independence, they've said they're here to stay. What are your it's, reactions it's, to that? It's so sad to see the DNA go out like this because, you know, they would have contested two previous elections and, you know, um, people thought they were so strong. Uh, I, I think mostly when they first uh, came out, you had um, you had uh, uh, Bronwyn McCartney heading that and, you know, Bohemians loved McCartney for some reason. He was the first. Even when Brad Brownell came on the scene, he was in politics for less than four years before people were like, he needs to be prime minister. And so he still didn't have, you know, the public buy-in that he needed. And so to see the DNA nearly 10 years later still now attempting to 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 con contest these elections and now to see how how they're actually doing, it's very saddening. I had a lot of high hopes for Arintha Komalafe. I think she was doing an amazing job but they lost ground in the last year and a half. They had a lot of behind the scenes drama. You had that situation between, you know, Boykin, um, Boykin and, and then he went on on his own and it's, it's, it's sad. And then also I think the snap election also caught them off guard as well. You know, before the snap election was even called, we were asking the DNA for, you know, who are your candidates? Who are, you know, are you putting out your official stuff as yet? And, you know, it was still, they were still in the process of doing these things. Meanwhile, the PLP had already completed. The FNM 
I don't know. They was praying to God <laughs> in their preparation room because it doesn't seem as if they had much preparation during the past few weeks during the election. So um, COI, honestly, if y'all expected to get y'all $100,000 from Lincoln Bean, I need y'all to see my therapist. <laughs> you you want to get the therapist number? Because listen, plenty of that. Yeah, I don't. I really. I don't want to antagonize the coalition of independent supporters. Every time I say something against them on Facebook, they jump down my throat and call me a part of the establishment, like me of all people, right? But anyway, that's I, that's okay. Because <laughs> guess what? They about. They clearly about establishment too. They can't do nothing for you. They can't do nothing for them. I, I, I sorry, not sorry. Joey, Chris, what y'all think? Yeah, I mean, it's just in dynamic schmamics. I mean, um, I, I, you know, I think that the, 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 the DNA's performance is disappointing, but they get what they deserve. Um, I think that oh, yeah. I think that there was just a uh, ton of missed opportunities um, uh, for the DNA. I, I, I no longer see their relevance. Um, that, that people believe in the uh, believe in the coalition of independence. I'm not interested in talking about them. Uh, and and their political value. What I am talking about is that there is that we live in such a context where people like them have um, traction, right? And that to me yep. signals some very worry worrying things. One, just kind of general tr uh, mistrust in what you uh, describe, um, Jason, as the establishment. And I think in this instance, establishment is used um, as a term to describe people who are qualified. So that's the first thing, right? Um, the second thing is populism which yep. you know is a damaging political force and has been particularly when it's a kind of right-wing populism not that left-wing populism is any better but um the kind of right-wing populism that we've seen done untold damage in places like the united states and in brazil especially in a crisis right and it is a thing that people turn to when they feel like social and other forces around them are uncontrollable that they've been washed over by these phenomena and they are grasping for something to make sense of the world around them, right? To, to, to shore up their biases um, and to, 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 to help the world make sense um, by playing to things that they believe are true, which aren't necessarily true or that have been simplified. That's what worries me. The coalition of independence may survive, it may not. Um, I, I think um, a lot of it is gonna have to do with how the FNM rebounds and how the PLP performs. And if people continue to feel like government and the establishment is not um, addressing their fundamental needs, then we'll see support grow. I don't think though that we'll see support grow so far as to, um, to, to you know, be looking forward in five years to a coalition of independent government, God forbid, but look at McElpine's <laughs> performance in Pine Ridge and Grand Bahama, right? Um, impressive, I think, um, from the numbers that I remember. Although, again, I really just don't have certain numbers um, in front of me, right? Very impressive. But, I mean, it, it, I mean, yeah. I, I, second place. He defeated the FNM candidate, and I think he came short he, by 300. Yeah, like three. He was very close. He was votes. very close. He could contest some votes. Yeah. If, he, if he had time, he could contest some votes in election. He, he could yeah, win. I mean, Maybe if he could find it's, it's, it's impressive. You know what I mean? And so I, I do think that there kind of generally is a growing appetite for what people feel as independent or anti-establishment populist politics here in the country. Um, and that is the fault of the establishment, I think. Um, and so it's really going to depend on whether or not the brave government, the brave, uh, the, the, the Davis government uh, performs well, or if the FNM returns 
and uh, uh, with a kind of reform that gives people an alternative they can believe in. Um, but again, 55% of folks did not come out to vote who were registered. That is the prize. That's the prize. But you know, I do have something interesting to say about that. In that environment, right, where you had the bases competing against each other, a highly motivated PLP base and a sort of despondent FNM base, the coalition of independents got 10% of the vote in several Grand Bahama constituencies. That is significant. And I, you know, I will put my biases aside to say that that is impressive. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that happens because you would expect in a low turnout election that the third parties, the alternative choices would just fade away because there would be no motivation for those swing voters to try and look at alternatives. Mm -hmm. But the coalition competed like they had been around for years, truthfully. I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they actually, they utilize social media at every single turn. And, you know, in this pandemic, social media was one of the main way to reach the Bohemian populace. You know, not only did they utilize social media, but they also had, you know, a, a good amount of, you know, coverage from the normal media. And and you I, and I think you saw that happening, you know, you see that, you, see, you saw that happening mostly because the FNM didn't talk to us. And so we spoke to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and that and they exploited the desperations of the Bahamian people. Absolutely, people were desperate for change, and they know that they needed something else. And the coalition of in- independence exploited the desperation of the people. They knew that if they were to get into power, and they knew they wouldn't get into power, but they knew that if they got into power. 95% of the things that they promised would have never, ever been fulfilled. But they knew that they sounded good and they knew that people were desperate. And then when people are desperate, they do silly things. And they exploited the desperation of the people. You want to disagree? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to slightly disagree disagree with Chris here. Chris is is fundamentally right. I think Chris is is giving them too much credit, though. The the coalition of independence. They believed, Chris, I, I swear to you, perhaps not um, leadership itself, but um, some of the folks on the ground, they believed in those things, you know. They believed that they could do those things. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that these folks, these are folks who don't understand how government works, who truly believes that there are these nefarious powers out there within the establishment that are holding back on them, making deals, this, that, and the next. I honestly think that they believed the things that they were saying. And I, I, but I also, I agree with Chris here that they leveraged the desperation of Bahamians. Uh, I was going to say they also le- leveraged the ignorance of Bahamians, but I think that they, yes, but I think yes, that they are the just as ignorant. You got to be, you got to be smarter to leverage ignorance. You, you get what I'm saying? Like you, you have to know you doing it to do it. And I no, don't, I'm sorry. Lincoln Bain is yep. a smart man. Yep. I know that may be a hot take, but Lincoln Bain is smart. I think Lincoln is very smart. I agree. Maybe leadership knew what it was doing, like right at the top. But I think a lot of those people around him knew, believed in the things that they were doing. Yes. Believed in the things yes. they were I think that's true. And I had this conversation um, after I saw Arinthia Kamalafe's comments on the media yesterday, right? And I have to agree with her assessment. She said that for parties like the DNA, like the UCM, Cassie Stewart's group, who also was a complete non-factor in the polls. They said it was extremely difficult on the ground to compete with the promise of $100,000 a year with every Bahamian. And I thought that it must be such a gut punch 
to these other third parties who have been around for longer, who have been campaigning for longer, who had the opportunity in multiple elections to make a silly promise like that to get cheap votes, but chose not to because they knew it was going to be an insult to the intelligence of the Bahamian people. And I stand by that. So I think that she was just saying that quiet part aloud that Chris and, and Joey were sort of getting into that this was an irresponsible kind of level of political campaigning and the coalition benefited from that irresponsibility, but other parties were not willing to do that, which is why they failed. Um, I think the UMC also had, had huge irresponsibility in their, um, in their campaigns. They went from what, three parties to one party. And then you had those individuals in but those really, individual parties. Know, yeah. You true. know, and then you had, and I'm sorry, Ali McIntosh needs a fucking, award for how many times she's given $400 to the <laughs> Yeah, it just became very messy very quickly. If possible then, I'll just wrap it up unless Joey wanted to give it in one last quick comment. Oh no, I have no more comments. I think I think you guys are right. Um, I think you know, Trump and, and Bolsonaro or whatever his name is in Brazil have brought a level of populist politics, a, a, a strain of populist politics that's really dangerous. And we saw that play out in our own elections um, in the person of the, the, well, in the in the organization that is the coalition of independence. Um, I, I feel no shame in saying that while I don't think of myself as, as an establishment person, right? There is something valuable about the political experience to know how, and in some cases, the gentleman's agreement. Yes. That, uh, that, that, that exists between parties to keep the discourse um, and, and other aspects of campaigning at a certain level. Although the FNM below the line campaign, this election was pretty dirty. You know yeah, what I mean? They, they were hitting out at, they yeah, is that what it is? Dirty. They had nothing else? Yeah, it was, it was pretty. I, I went to the last free national movement rally on a whim because I wanted to hear what they were talking about and see the reactions of persons in person. And I only left hearing about how Brave Davis is an unacceptable choice to be the prime minister of the country and about some vague ideas that were apparently, according to Dr. Minnis, bold and progressive. And then he mentioned free school lunches for children. And, <laughs> they were counting you know, they, they kept saying that. And I was like waiting for the crowd to react. I'm like, am I missing something? Is this really bold and progressive and amazing? And only I don't see it. But no, <laughs> people were just kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, and then when the, the FNM songs played, you know, the pom-poms go up, the flags go up, but I was bored. I'm sorry to say you, it. I was you bored know what's for so three sad, straight Jace? speeches. You know what's so sad, Jace? I think the most memorable speech given on the FNM stage during this campaign was by Carlisle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, honestly, Carlisle, because I, 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 I enjoyed his speech with the belt and the, you know, <laughs> and that's sad to say. Um, I, if I if I can't end because I really, really got to go, this, this uh, ceremony is actually happening now. <laughs> um, I just want to add and say, I think the Spectrum did an amazing job during this campaign. I oh, think your you. coverage, I think um, your, your engagement with the Bahamian public, I think your your messaging, your your information and, and, and everything that you guys did throughout this campaign season and even prior to it in the lead up to it. I think it was really amazing. I'm excited to see young people, you know, take this country where it needs to go. Um, obviously, we're still in, 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 in that era where you still have, you know, old, the older people.
people still trying to prove themselves. But I think the next election is definitely going to be a shift to this younger generation. We, we can see it uh, already, but I'm excited to see it. And Jason, I want to say congratulations to you guys on, on, on everything that you've done this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you guys, guys. You guys should be, um, you guys are national heroes. <laughs> oh, wow. that's, that's big, but thank you so much. We're tired. <laughs> that's our response. And, and, we need a vacation. And on that note, and on that note, I am out of here, guys. Thank you so Good much luck, for listening Sloan. to me. Thank you bye, for your guys. service. Bye. Okay, you know, bye. It was so good to have all of you on again. Um, so we'll just wrap up this episode here. There's more conversations that are going to be had on Twitter in the next phase of Spectrum, which we'll talk about in a separate kind of episode. We'll talk about how we expand to different social media platforms and different spaces. Uh, pardon the pun, since we use Twitter spaces as well. But thank you so much for following us. Thank you so much for listening to us. Please send us feedback. And if you don't hear from us for a while, it's because we're on vacation because we're tired. But thank you so much, Joey. Thanks, Sloan. Thank you, Christoph, for the conversation. And we will talk again soon. See you next time.